if we're going to keep, if you're going to keep coming to church, I'm going to keep coming because I get paid. But if you're going to keep coming to church, you know, why not dig a little deeper into your own hearts and minds and think, you know, is this real for me? Am I moved uh, by, a, by a story? Does this really grab hold of my heart? Because without that conviction of the heart, I think that's what these teachings will tell us. Without that conviction of the heart, then it all, at some point, it will fall away anyway. So Paul introduced the topic last week. This week is going to be a bit more specific and a bit more uncomfortable. There's an advert going around at the moment for a bank about, which sort of references the fact that nobody dares talk about money. You've seen that advert on the TV, nobody dares, you know, it's the, the taboo subject in the house. I don't know quite how to, taboo it is, but the advert says it's really taboo. And today we're going to look at the heart, and you might not talk to me on the door on the way out, perhaps after we're finished with this. The heart and matters of money. The heart and our stuff, the heart and our belongings, how it is and maybe how it should be. And the wisdom, I think, in this passage is something along the lines of... When money becomes the ultimate thing in the, in the world, in our world or in the world, and I think, I think that it is, one, it, it blinds us. I think the economy of the world, hopefully you'll stay with me long enough for me to make this point, I think that it blinds us so we can't see other people, we can't see right from wrong, we can't see straight. That's the first thing. Second thing I think this passage says is, Somewhere down the line, if you could pop the text up, Craig, that'd be really helpful. Somewhere down the line, it will break our hearts. This is what the passage will say. I'll read it out to us again, because it's only a short passage. Then the last thing, hopefully I'm going to say, maybe, maybe you'll left me beyond that point, maybe you'll not agree with me, but hopefully you'll stay with me long enough to find out how we can break that pattern. Maybe you'll go along with me far enough to go, yeah, I can see how money has this incredible control over us. And then I think Jesus' wisdom here is that the people of God, people of faith, can break this pattern, and that should be our encouragement. We'll see a different economy. Let me read it out to you again, as it's just so short, but soaked, I think, with wisdom. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths, and I keep wanting to say rust when I read this, I don't know if that's just the... The Bible I've been reading over the years, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin don't destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light, but your eyes, if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is dark. How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. And if you had your Bibles uh, in front of you, if you've got a Bible, you'd read on and you'd read all around that and you'd realize that a lot of the chat here is about money. And then there's this really strange verse in between. I think Jesus does this kind of thing a lot. He drops in little bombshells along the way. I don't think you could ever walk away from a chat with Jesus and go, yeah, I got that got everything that you were saying. I think he always says something to tax you, to make you think, to make you run over it again. And the first bit, I think, the point in this passage where he does that is that little bit in the middle. The eye is the lamp of the... He's talking about money. It's all about money, and then you've got this little mad-looking bit of wisdom. 
where he drops money, or so it would seem, and he talks about the body. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. What is he, what's that about? How, why is that in there? Should catch your attention, it caught mine. You know, with your eyes, I think one of the things with your eyes is you take them for granted. Eyes are blooming, amazing bits of kit. They are just phenomenal bits of kit. You, you, and, and we do, we totally just go, it's fine. It's my, until, and I don't know if you've been through this, maybe some of you have been through this, until they go wrong. And then you realize how fundamental they are. This, this, these tiny balls in the middle of your head translate that world around you, that beautiful mountain that you might want to climb up, or that great sunset you want to take in and enjoy. Your eyes do that. They are critical for the function of the body. And Jesus says, in the middle of a section about money, it's critical how you think about money as to how your body is able to function. And he kind of says, it'll be the same as the eyes. You won't recognize it as a big deal. You won't, you won't think this is a big deal. It will sneak up on you, and then all of a sudden you'll realize, perhaps, it shapes you more than you know the economy that is around us. I think it's one of the things, I think, one of the sins, perhaps, that we never... We never see. Jesus, when he talks about the errors that people commit, he, talks, he doesn't talk much about like the really graphic, terrible stuff that we do. He doesn't talk that much about that, the murdering and the sex and all that sort of stuff. Maybe stuff that we major on in church. He talks about, and if I talked about this subject this much, nobody would ever come to church. He talks about money all of the time. He talks about, this, I think, the stuff that we don't see because... Here's how it is, I think, particularly living in, and it's so poignant, particularly living in the days that we live in, nobody thinks that they're greedy. Do you know why? You just need to look at a person who's got a bit more dollar than you, and you immediately go, well, I'm not greedy. Just, just, just real quick, you could even do it in church. You could look at whoever is the person with the biggest car, and you can go, well, that's no... Problem for me, money. Money's no, you know, I don't have a problem with greed. There's somebody who's got more money than me. You stick on your TV when you get home, you watch Cribs. Is that still on? It's not on, is it? It's one of them moments exposed again <laughs> from the 90s. <laughs> you put Cribs on or some, something else, Grand Designs, whatever else is on, and you see somebody's awesome, yeah, same again, exposed again, I know. See somebody's awesome house and you go, oh, they're, they're the, you know, I'm not greedy because I've just got this. Or if you're from Yorkshire, never find a Yorkshireman who says they're greedy because you look down the M1 and you say, oh, people from London, they've got all the money. That's where all the money is down there. You can't be greedy if you're from Yorkshire. You just see somebody richer than you and immediately you think that's not, not an issue for me. Greed. Had this moment. Um, it's a long time ago now. Went off to Africa in the days when I could fly. Not not physically, but I weren't as, those days have never, never been, when, when I could get on a plane without having these terrible uh, panic attacks that I have now, I went off the first time with uh, my then girlfriend, 
to Africa. And if anybody knows me will know I'm, a, I'm such a home bird. Does that still apply if you're a boy? You're still a home bird if you're a boy? I'm, I'm such a homie. I don't, I don't travel well, either way. And my suitcase was loaded with, I had some clothes in there, but it was mostly ready break. It was mostly ready break and Mars bars, and there used to be a, a bar called Tracker Bars. You remember Tracker Bars? And that, my suitcase was pretty much filled with this stuff. And my wife's family and some friends of theirs picked us up in this minibus from the airport, and two or three miles just dripping with sweat in this minibus of traveling across Africa, um, Jude's, we, the car was stopped, we had this little picnic, and Jude's mum says something like, oh, I've got some rice cakes for everybody. And I was in the back with my Mars bars and my tracker, and I'm like, I'm good, <laughs> I'm good, thank you. And popped open the can of Coke, Psh, everyone's, everyone's looking around, sort of disgusted. These people have been missionaries for years, they've not seen Coke or Mars bars or anything like that. They were raging with me. I was a tiny bit exposed, but I didn't realize it at this point. Later on in the, in the, in the trip, Jude's dad, needed to get some stuff uh, from one of the towns. So we drove into town, and it's, it's this air-conditioned con, air air Range Rover, top of the range. I'm there. I was going to Africa, so I, had, I wanted to look like the safari guy. I, had sort of the, the, I bought a bag special. I had my check shirt. I had the trousers on, all this sort of stuff. Air-conditioned car. Driving me through, we hit the, the slums, the shacks, whatever you want to call it. We pulled up. Alan nipped out of the car. I opened up my can of coke, I had my Mars bar, and we were right outside this tiny little shack. And this, this, this dear old lady was out there selling her wares, this tiny little bowl, and she had like three things on the side of it. And she looked up, and she clocked me with my Mars bar, and my can of coke, and my rubbish outfit. And I was a millionaire to her. And I, I, I look back at this story, and I almost want to go, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just a mill worker from Batley. I've got, no, I've got no dollar, but what she saw in me, in fact, not just what she saw, I was a millionaire. I was loaded. I had more money than I knew. I was soaked in it, loaded, loaded with it. I'm reading a book at the moment called um, Dethroning Mammon by a guy called Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury. I'm going to read you an extract. And he used to be a banker, I think, and that, I don't know if that excludes you from listening to him at all, but I think it makes him a bit of an expert on money. And he's writing this book on money. He's got this great insight. It's quite a long quote, but I want to read it to you. Just listen uh, to what he's saying. The more interconnected the world becomes, the more power is held over individuals and nations by economics, by money, and flows of finance. Mammon, a name given by Jesus to this force. So if you've got an older Bible, an authorized Bible or something like that, I think it, it would have that word in a bit more often. Not just money, but the love of money and the flow and the power of money. It gains strength through our obedience. The more we let ourselves be governed by money, mammon, the more power he has. And the more, and the, more the vulnerable will suffer. In so many human crises, crises, money plays a part. Debt and desire for things enslave people and draws them into lives of service to money. A master they neither choose nor want, but who tricks them by playing on their insecurities, on their good intentions, and on their reasonable ambitions. At a national 
and international level, every crisis seems to end in talk about economics. Not economics as a tool in the service of human flourishing, but as an end in itself. It seems that in many eyes, and often in mine, personal finances that are in good shape, or a national global economy doing well, are not merely a means to improve people's lives, but are seen as the goal in pursuit of a good life. That approach, he says, is incompatible with serving Christ. It's incompatible, yet God in his grace and love and patience meets us, blesses us, calls us, and guides us, even while we are possessed by the power of mammon, of money. God waits for us to find the real treasure in life and so begin the incredibly radical steps, the first steps in a journey that will last a lifetime to bring us to the point of losing everything for the sake of the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. I don't... So when he writes that, he like me, and I think like Jesus, is not looking down his nose as the preacher at the people in the pews and going, you're spending too much. Stop having so much stuff and stop having so much fun. I think he's saying, see the world that we live in? It is, it is soaked. It is soaked and shaped by money to the extent we can't even get our heads around, and we go, so he says, not just us, the nation, we go money blind. There's a couple of ways that I think that happens, Craig, if you could pop that slide on it. I think, so in his book, there's a bunch of, there's endless kind of illustrations as to how that happens, but I just wanted to give you a few so you don't just think, it's rubbish, Ash, just maybe some stuff to think about. First one is that it skews our moral compass. The world that we live in, money-centered world that we live in skews our ability to make moral decisions. And I, I think, I reckon you don't need me to go very far down this road in explaining this. I think you will know of companies who sell to vulnerable people, who, who do dishonorable practices because money is their chief aim. The, the morals are just slightly corrupted by that. One example, I think, or one way that we see this, fairly recently, our good friend, Mr. Trump, paid us a visit. And we're in the predicament at the moment, with the Brexit cloud, that we need a deal with somebody. That's certainly the language that comes out of the government, isn't it? We need a deal. Money is, is a big issue, isn't it? And, and we had this moment, I don't know when the NHS was formed, is it in this century, I think, this beautiful social enterprise, this awesome act of care, I love the NHS is incredible, isn't it? Just, we're going to care for you. What's the three things? Meet the needs of everyone, free at point of delivery, based on clinical need, not ability to pay. We had this revelation, or somebody had this revelation, about how we can look after people, how we can be better. It was a great step for human beings. Except our morals are not in charge. Money is, especially now. And so, when we need a deal, and the Americans come over with the money, the expression that comes out in all the newspapers over the last couple of weeks is, everything's on the table. You see that? Everything's on the table, including, it seems, our NHS, our great NHS, because money is all-powerful. 
at the moment. And our morals, our ability to look after people, just gets eroded by it. So I'm not pointing fingers at us. I'm going, look at, look at how it is. Look at the way that money shapes the world that we're in. Look at how the NHS becomes vulnerable because we need the money. One more illustration. It's, it gives us a wrong view of other people. Have you seen how, that, how money does that? It separates us all up. I was reading just before I came out about some life expectancy statistics. Not easy to say. You've got a gob like mine. But just it was across the road along the M62 in Liverpool. Um, people living about five miles apart because of the economies have, a, I think it's 12 years difference in life expectancy between the two people. And that's it's money. It separates us. I was watching a documentary. I won't name the countries that did this, but they were wealthy countries and they sent off their landfill, their rubbish, all their plastic goes, goes on one of these big ships and it goes off to a country that is less well off than that country. And then the people who bought this stuff send it to a place in that country that is less well off than them. And then in the documentary, you've got some really poor kids who end up playing on this rubbish of a big Western country because, and we don't even get to see these kids. Every now and again, our, our conscience is checked and there's a charity event that, that raises our awareness. But when money talks, we don't get to see this. Money's influence so pervades our lives, we go money blind to God's ways and to good ways, I think. You can disagree with me at the door if you want. And maybe you say to that, I don't care. So I'm money blind. Being money blind can be a lot of fun. I, can, I could have a lot of fun along the way till I pop my clogs, you know, spending my money in my money blindness. What does it matter? I think that's what Jesus says to us in the text. What does he say to us? about money and about treasure. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's he saying? Because at some point... I think this is, so hear this, if money is your thing, and I think generically it's our thing, you'll be faced with the reality at some point in your life where you'll realize the fallout that money is not the answer, the hurt you'll feel. And if you place your trust in it, I think this is what he's saying, it can last a lifetime. So as I said before, I don't think Jesus is just being a killjoy here. I don't think he just says, I don't want you to have stuff. I want to, I want to bore you to death. I want to own you in that way. I think this command here, I think this is born out of love. I think it's born out of love because he sees what we like. He sees what we're like, how we treasure stuff. And he knows what's coming. That's what I'm, that's what I'm putting to you. He sees what we're like. He knows how we're going to treasure stuff. He knows how we're going to really need to treasure it. And he knows what's coming. He knows that we treasure stuff. What do we mean by treasure? Anyone seen, you seen Lord of the Rings? I feel like I'm on pretty safe ground. Not, I was shaky with cribs, but I feel like Lord of the Rings, I might just get myself back in the game with Lord of the Rings. And our good friend, the unattractive Mr. Gollum, who loves the ring, refers to it as his precious, doesn't he? And he says it in a bit of a crooked voice. My precious, this. And what's he saying about his, his precious, his treasure? 
And a few different people get the ring as the story goes on, don't they? He's saying, so long as I've got this, I don't know why I'm holding my ring, as long as, as, long as I've got this with me, then I'm going to be all right. That's what he says. As long as I can hold on to this treasure. And when we see the Lord of the Rings film, I don't, we don't end up completely hating Gollum, do we? We kind of feel for him a bit, don't we? We kind of see his pain. We're like, yes, I feel it. I see you. You don't really want this curse, but it is a curse on you. You feel like you need this. I think Jesus in his wisdom, I would say God in his wisdom, looks at us and he sees that we're people who are going to treasure stuff, really want to own stuff, need something to get us through, and he sees the shape of the world and he goes, that's going to be money because that's the way the world's shaped. Money's going to own you in that way. It's going to grab you in that way. You're going to find your identity in it. You're going to find your security in it. You're going to end up having loads of times in your life where you say, as long as I've got my house or I've got my mortgage or I've got whatever else it is, I'll be all right. And along with them, I say that. Got to get my house. Got to get a degree. Got to get this and that. Find my security there. This is what Jesus says, and I would put it to you that it's in love, not to bore us to death or to be the killjoy. He says, there's a moment coming when all of that stuff is going to painfully crumble in front of your eyes like a moth-eaten jacket or like a vermin-infested jacket or like a house that's burgled and there's nothing you can do about it. That's what he says. And I think, I think we sense that sometimes. I think every now and again we get a little glimpse that money is not all that there is. A long walk along the beach after a good glass of red wine when you're far enough away from your career and you see how beautiful the world is, you'll say something like, it's just not all about money, is it? We get a glimpse of this. On your, maybe even after you've been really ill or at Sunday's funeral or on your deathbed, when you look around at your loving family around you and you go, yeah, it's not. It's not about this. It's about something else. And Jesus says to us, I think... And I think he's right, this is my contention, that people are, we are soaked up with this world, we are money blind. And he says in this, you're going to miss me, and one day you'll realize it. One day you'll realize it. So, if you're still with me, is there anything we can do to break this? If we think money's got a hold on us, is there any way we can shake this hold of money off on us? Or do we just think, world's gone, the, the materialistic button has been pressed too hard for too long, there's nothing we can do about all the plastic in the ocean, there's nothing we can do about all the wealthy elites, it's just it's gone too far, money talks, money makes the world go around, there's nothing. As a counter-argument, I want to just show you a day in the life of a city in Bible times called Jericho, where a man called Jesus walks through it on his way to the cross, he's on his way to Jerusalem, he's on his way to die on the cross, but he walks through this city. All these cities in the world, Jericho. And when he gets there, it's got extreme wealth and extreme poverty. Let me read out the impact that Jesus has. Because when we see Jesus walking through a place or talking through a place, we get to see a glimpse of the kingdom of God. We get to see a glimpse of the ways of God, even the economy of God. Watch what happens. Just cast your eyes up and read through this text with me. As Jesus approached Jericho, <clears throat> a blind man... Mark calls him Bartimaeus, we'll call him Bart, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So he shouts out, 
Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see. As you would. He replied, Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he receives his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. That's the story of a poor man outside the city. The next story is of a wealthier man, Zacchaeus the tax collector. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to the guest of a sinner. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner, sorry. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come uh, to this house. Jericho's got the rich and the poor. It's got a bit of everything. And money is on the throne in that city. How do we know that? Because the beggar, where's the beggar? The beggar's outside the city gate. He's there, he's got no money, he's not welcome inside. And it, money's so much on the throne to the extent that, as it say in the text, the people leading the way, which I'm thinking is going to be Jesus' own disciples, when this guy shouts out, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy, they say, let's just ignore this guy. Why? Why are they ignoring this guy? Because he's got no money. He's a blind beggar. And all the people, because money is on the throne, say there's something more important happening here. Maybe even their agenda is of thinking that Jesus is going to be this kind of savior that's going to kick the Romans out and give them their jobs back. Or mean that the jobs that they've got can actually earn the money that they're worth. Money is in control here. And this beggar He's outside the city, and everybody wants to ignore him. The, the big cascade of people want to walk past, all except for one man, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, bring him here. I'm stopping. Think about what he does to this, to the wheels of commerce as they go around. Stops them in their tracks. He dethrones the money god, and he says, I'm talking to this guy. And he heals this guy. This guy runs off down the street because he can see again. And everybody, notice what happens, everybody ends up praising God. Everybody gets to see God. That's the first guy. Second guy, the rich man, Zacchaeus, we'll call him Zac. He's corrupted as well. People don't want Jesus to stop for this guy, not because he's got no money and he's not important, but because he's nicking everybody's money. And he's a wrong'un, to use a Yorkshire expression. They don't want him to stop because he's already got enough money. And what else does he do with the money that he nicks? He redistributes it wrongly. He's giving it back to the Romans more than he should, and he's hagging a bit for himself more than he should. 
And nobody wants Jesus to stop again. But Jesus, again, stops. And what happens to this guy after he goes to his house for tea? Zacchaeus, what does he do when he comes out? He's overflowing with generosity. He gives away half of all he owns, and he pays back the people that he's nicked the money off four times as much. Man's economy, human economy, says it's how much you hold that defines you. God's economy chastens that view, and he says it's how much you are willing to sacrifice and give away that will define you. I just want you to think about that night in Jericho. I want you to think about the economic lessons Jericho learnt that night. We have tried endless systems and strategies to resolve human crises of money. And no matter what we've done, whether it's been communism, whether it's been democracy over here in the UK, we've always had the rich guy and the poor guy. Because power and money have always been really close together. We've, and it ultimately has corrupted us. We've always had the poor guy. We've always had the rich guy. Look what Jesus does to the city of Jericho in one afternoon. The economic values. Just imagine, imagine the pie that went on in Jericho that night. The economic values of that place are flipped on their heads. Just completely turned around. These two characters, Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus, that couldn't have been any further apart, get a chance to get closer together in a miraculous way. The poor people of the city, having had no hope and no way back, all of a sudden have got hope. And they're thinking, if Bartimaeus can make it, any of us can make it. They've got a glimpse of somebody who really cares for them. They've seen somebody stop. And they're hearing on the grapevine of this story of the rich guy in the city who's dishing out the money, who, to whom generosity has suddenly arrived at his door. The econom economics of the city have changed as Jesus passes through it on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to the cross. He leaves this economic trail behind him. He turns the place upside down. He turns it around. And we think there are those of us in our Christian culture who think that when Jesus says, I've come to bring life and bring it to the full, he thinks it means that we get a swimming pool and we get to pay our mortgage off and we just end up loaded with cash. I think when Jesus says, I've come to bring life and bring it to the full, I think he's thinking about places like this, places like Jericho, where the, where the poor get lifted up and where the rich and crooked get brought low and there is an incredible possibility of equality that is just not there in normal life, we get a glimpse of the possibilities of that. I love the idea, and Luke doesn't tell us it, so I shouldn't really say it, but I love the idea, because they're both there. Zacchaeus is going around handing out money. Bartimaeus can see for a long time. I love the idea that these two run into each other, and Zacchaeus's Generosity makes Bartimaeus' day even better. It didn't happen because Luke didn't write it, but those were the miracles taking place all over the city because Jesus came there. Jesus takes away, shuffles away in his life the rule of money by what he did. The only question I think you've got to ask at that is how, how does that happen? I think... Zacchaeus glimpses the economy of God. Zacchaeus gives his money away 
Now you think about how so Zacchaeus is the bad guy in this place. He's the corrupt guy. He's the, he's the dodge guy. Nobody likes him. Nobody likes him in the whole town because he's the tax collector. Even now, you're a tax man. You're not that popular. Then, you just, nobody likes you at all. You're, you're in trouble already. And yet, he, he's kind of like shaking in his boots because this amazing teacher, this guy who everyone thinks is God, isn't just wandering past. He stops for him. He draws near to him. And Zacchaeus goes, I can't believe it. And when Zacchaeus gets to the bottom of it, what he realizes is God, in human form, has left the glory of heaven, it dropped all that, and he's ended up right on my doorstep. And it's just blown him away. And you see, that is the story of the gospel. It is the economy of God. It is the lavish riches of God poured out on his treasures, us. That's what we see in the journey of Jesus towards the cross. God doesn't hang on to his treasure. That's my thoughts. God doesn't hang on to his treasure. This thing that he loves, he lets it go. And when we watch Jesus live his life, he loses his stuff, loses his home, loses his job, loses his friends. In the end, loses everybody loses his dignity, loses his clothes, even his breath. And what we see in that story is the lavish, generous love of God, the economy of God, and he gives everything away. And when we realize, if we realize that that could be for us, then in that moment we find salvation. Jericho wasn't changed by any economic reforms but by people who received the generous gift of God. It was heart and soul people. That's what happened. There was no legislation that turned it around that brought that little good night around. It was people who lovingly received the generous gift of God and had hearts and souls changed. Where is your treasure? There is your heart.